0: Avast all ye swashbuckling Chuckaneers, you're listening to Go Chuck Yourself on this episode. Aaron and I are going to be recapping and analyzing Season 2, Episode 19 of Chuck, Chuck versus the Dream Job. Now, say, for instance, you have a dream job and it's uh, that you want to be a pirate. You know, I, I support that. You should be a pirate. Not like, you know, you, you can't really pirate episodes of this show because it's free. You could pirate episodes of Chuck. I do not support that, for the record. But maybe you're more of like the, you know, sailing the ocean and uh, raiding, you know, cargo ships and things like that of the British Empire. I support that. That sounds like a blast. In fact, if you get any time off when you're being a pirate and you have a computer on your pirate ship, feel free to send us an email at GoChuckYourselfPodcast at gmail.com. And you can use that same pirate computer, not a computer that you pirated, but you get the idea, Mm -hmm. to follow us on Twitter at GoChuckPodcast and You know what? Like I said, you don't even need to pirate this show because it's it's available for free on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All you have to do is like and subscribe. So you're kept in the loop for all the newest and latest episodes. And if you are feeling extra generous as a pirate and you just found a a big a big treasure chest of gold somewhere and you're feeling generous and you want to spread the love, feel free to write us a review or actually give us gold coins. That would actually even be even better. Feel free to send us gold coins in the mail. Now, without further ado, pirates, let us begin on this episode of Go Chuck Yourself. Here we go. listening to go chuck yourself this is season two episode 19 chuck versus the dream job my name is chris gillespie
1: i'm in there
0: and i am amped up i woke up and started my day with a a big old cup of chuck that's how i like to start my days <laughs> and uh i i am amped up i am i'm ready to discuss this this the 19th episode of season two aaron how are you doing
1: I started my day with a big old cup of two buck chuck. That's wine.
0: Oh really? Oh, I, I, I think uh, so.
1: I hope I'm not actually misusing that name. I uh, it's we've not talked true. about before,
0: but we I think you have a problem, Aaron. I think you should <laughs> you should seek help.
1: All right. Well, I'll I'll do that after the episode's over. But we've got a lot to get through this week.
0: That's fine. Yes, I am okay with you being drunk this week as long as you can operate efficiently.
1: Uh, I'm looking this it up, episode. uh, 2-Buck two, two Chuck is also known as Charles Shaw Wine, and I think it's the type of wine that is, um, it's, is it from Trader Joe's? Trader Joe's is involved somehow, Trader Joe's has a version of it, I guess. okay. Uh, yeah, so, that I was right, it's wine, and I will get help, thank you.
0: Good, I'm glad, that's, this st- is already starting off on a great note, uh, it is, we were recording this on a Sunday uh I the Lord's Day, the Lord's day, I was thinking that you know we uh we don't always I mean we usually record on Sundays, but specifically, I was like, you know what today feels like a Sunday, you know what I mean and I do actually
1: I think it's I think it's- because, well, I don't know about in New York, but here in l a fall is finally in the air, it's a crisp sixty degrees today, and I've been wearing long pants flannel and socks and shoes, and I don't know like something about fall just makes like Sundays feel like Sundays
0: right. And so I was thinking about another we you know we've been doing the show for a little over a year now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's been airing for over a year. So
1: It's been airing for over a
0: year? It's been airing with Aaron. Oh
1: okay, okay.
0: But it had me thinking of one particular episode that we recorded on a Sunday morning when you were you were visiting my apartment and we were recorded uh I believe it was Chuck versus the Wookiee way back at the beginning yeah, of season yes, 1. Yes, it was. So I thought in celebration of Sundays and also that particular episode, I would invite an old friend onto the show who we first met during that episode. Oh, um, and I feel okay. like you have probably forgotten about them, but I think it's oh. important that we oh no, we really take a moment to appreciate them and say hello once again to oh, our good friend Coco. <laughs> um, so so it, scary. In case you haven't listened to Chuck versus the Wookiee, you should do that. But if you don't want to, that's okay too. Basically what Coco is, was that one night when Aaron and I were hanging out in the streets of Brooklyn, as we do, uh, we came across a, a magazine insert for this, what could only be described as horrifying doll. That is a lifelike monkey baby. Um, i is
1: this this is the same ad or is this a new ad that you have this received? is the
0: same one i just found okay. this the other day
1: oh, okay did um, had Catherine hit it i think so okay
0: um it was in my underwear drawer but oh, i found okay. it so uh coco it's been a year of coco some have referred to 2018 as the year of the monkey baby but i just wanted to once again to as it is tradition for a celebration of coco Uh, to read the copy that is on the back of Coco's card. Yes, please do. As I did all those those months ago. (laughs) The title is An Amazing Work of Lifelike Art to Cuddle and Love. With all the tender innocence and sweetness of a real newborn monkey, Coco is a 16-inch, so truly real, that's trademarked, masterpiece of realism you can cradle in your arms.
1: I can cradle in my arms?
0: Thanks to the award-winning artistry of Linda Murray. Coco's little head, arms, and legs are crafted of real touch, once again, that's trademarked, vinyl to recreate every lifelike detail, from her cute, serene expression to her wrinkled little toes. She also has a weighted cloth body that's perfect for posing and cuddling. Little wisps of hair applied by hand add to the incredible realism, as do those trusting eyes that look so lovingly into yours. You won't be able to resist picking her up and offering her the pacifier, Yours included free. That's right. This baby monkey doll comes with a baby monkey pacifier. It
1: comes with the, the film, the pacifier or a pacifier, pacifier.
0: She arrives in a pink tee and terry cloth diaper adorned with tiny pink diaper pins. Simply adorable. A remarkable value for a limited time. Coco can be yours for just $119.99. Payable in four installments of $29.99. Your satisfaction is guaranteed for one full year. So order now. The website is www.ashtondrake.com slash coco
1: so uh another year of uh free advertising for coco
0: i feel passionate about this product and <laughs> i want to make sure that our listeners know about how to access coco um you know by the a- end
1: of our podcast by the time we reach season five uh we will be recording with a coco <laughs>
0: that is that is a threat that you <laughs> you have heard here first at some point in the show we will actually have a coco doll um yeah I mean it's pretty reasonably priced. I don't know if they're still for sale or not um, but yes, that is Coco Coco, thanks for being here. I'll just prop this up right here so we can I can keep an eye on you put you right next to Aaron right there.
1: Oh thanks I like I like him being next to me him I like them being next to me because I don't have to look at them, but you can look at them
0: <laughs> uh anyhow, we're talking about Chuck versus the dream job and it is certainly a meaty episode.
1: Yes, it is uh, our... meatier than the beefcake, one might say.
0: I I think so. We could sink our teeth into it right now if you would like to begin, Aaron. Let's
1: do it. So we start 100 miles outside of Barstow with Chuck and Sarah sitting on the couch in Chuck's dad's trailer. Chuck is freaking out and Sarah tries to calm him down. I appreciate her keeping her cool in this situation because I know she was a bit freaked out by her own father's reappearance a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. As they're talking, Chuck's dad's face was hidden by the open refrigerator, but he finally steps into view, and it's Scott Bakula. Who?
0: I, I have a question about this. Yeah. Um, I know the captions say Scott Bakula, but yeah. do you think it was really a typo for Scott Dracula?
1: Do you, Do you know Scott Bakula?
0: Well, yeah, I I know that there's an actor called Scott Bakula, but yeah. I'm just concerned because I think that if this is Really, Scott Dracula, that would be far too scary for our listeners if that's okay. the case, um, okay, well,
1: I think we can get around that by just calling him Scott Dracula, and then they won't know. I know, It'll but i
0: okay. i I just want it on the record that I will not be a part of a show that hypes up a vampire such as Dracula. This is a family friendly program it's not it's not scary. it's not I don't want it to be too scary, and I don't okay. want this new guy that's showing up in his trailer with his fangs and his cape to say you know scare away the go chuck yourself listeners because it's not so okay i am making a pledge right now that go chuck yourself will be a a dracula free zone
1: okay if you want to make that pledge with me well i can make that pledge with you for approximately two more days once we get into the month of october i can make no promises about the appearances or non-appearances of dracula in our podcast I'm sorry. Okay,
0: fine. Well, I guess we can finish this episode and then we'll revisit that later. Okay. With our lawyers involved.
1: Sounds good. This whole time, um, I remember Chuck's dad having been played by Chevy Chase. Um, I know like Chevy Chase is a different character in this episode, but I just like, I almost commented in the last episode, like, ah, excited to see Chevy next week, which I guess still would have been true. Scott's looking good. He's got like kind of he he looks very similar to Chuck. They have like he looks like he could be Chuck's dad. They have mm-hmm. like similar like colored like shaggyish hair. I'm going to start calling him Stephen as opposed to Scott Bakula slash Dracula, just so as not to scare our listeners. Did you listeners. say Dracula? I'm sorry. Oh, well, I, I can't say it right now. It's okay for me to say it right now.
0: But I just made a pledge that this oh, is my, a a, well, no, a Dracula free.
1: I'm wearing a cross.
0: Okay, so just because your body is safe from Dracula does not mean, <gasps> mean that this podcast is safe from the mention okay, of Dracula. You're, you're
1: making a very good point. So Stephen mm. tells Chuck, it's good to see that face again. They have kind of a sweet conversation about what Chuck has been up to, and Steven tells Sarah that Chuck was always a genius. He does this while looking almost like directly at the camera. <laughs> and I guess I've been watching too much Fleabag because I kind of thought that this was going to be an episode where Steven just keeps breaking the fourth wall. I thought that was just going to be a thing this episode. Chuck tells his dad that Ellie is getting married, and Steven is sort of taken off guard. Chuck asks Steven to come to the wedding to walk Ellie down the aisle, and Steven says it's not a good idea. Chuck stands up and sort of yells at him. He says, I don't want to hear what you can't do. I've seen what you can't do. Steven says he's impressed with Chuck fighting for Ellie and he'll get some things together and come with them. As Steven wanders off, Sarah asks Chuck if he's okay. He says he's happy that he found his dad for Ellie's sake, but he's a little hesitant when Sarah asks about his own. He says maybe his dad's not as crazy as he remembers, but he's proven wrong when Steven suggests they wait to leave until dark because they are tracking his every move. I'm not sure what time this was all happening at because Chuck arrives home from his little rendezvous and Ellie and Devin are in scrubs discussing rehearsal dinner attire. I don't know if it's supposed to be the morning or if it's night. Who knows? Also, who knows why Chuck didn't call Ellie to warn her that he was bringing a guest home, let alone that their guest is their father they haven't seen in 10 years.
0: Don't you have a a feel for the theatrical? Don't you, wouldn't you want to surprise Ellie in this manner?
1: You well, uh last episode we talked about you thinking it was a good idea to pretend to mug someone, so I know that you like this kind of emotionally distressing surprises.
0: I don't like it. It's just a curse that I've been given. <laughs> okay. That's why I can't risk to 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 evoke the name of the world's most famous vampire lord, because I cannot become more cursed than I already am. <laughs>
1: okay. Ellie is really startled to see her dad, understandably.
0: Because she's afraid of Dracula.
1: It's a good bit. Uh, she reminds him that before he left, he said he was going to make pancakes. Then she storms out. Chuck follows while Devin stays behind to introduce himself to Stephen. In Ellie's room, I think, I don't think it was Chuck's room. I don't know what room this was in. Some room. Uh, Chuck apologizes for springing this kind of surprise on Ellie. Thank you. Ellie thinks it would be easier to hate their dad, but Chuck says this might be their last chance to be a family. I get that this is stressful, but that's a lot to put on this visit, and maybe Chuck should have kept it to himself instead of unloading it on his sister, who's also dealing with a wedding. But Ellie decides to uh, give being a family a try. We cut to a fairly awkward meeting in the living room between Devin, Ellie, Chuck, and Stephen. Stephen tells Ellie she looks just like her mother. There's a bunch of awkward silences until Steven starts explaining how he practically invented their TV and developed an idea for touchscreen technology in grad school with his old roommate, Ted Rourke. Chuck is surprised because Rourke is some kind of software mogul, like Chuck's version of Steve Jobs, although they ma- they reference Apple later and have iPhones, so it, he's just like similar to that. He's not, uh, he's, he's not he's, the dream jobs. He is the haver of the dream job.
0: He's kind of like a composite character of a Steve Jobs figure mixed with John Lasseter mixed oh, with God. Chevy Chase.
1: Yeah. Okay. I could, I could see that.
0: Because of the Hawaiian shirts, it's kind of like the John Lasseter thing, but then he is basically
1: hugging employees.
0: He's just Chevy Chase because Chevy Chase is not a good actor. Yes.
1: Uh, Steven says that Rourke stole all of his ideas and gave him nothing and no credit. Chuck, Ellie, and Devin assume this is more delusion and try to change the subject. I have a question here, which is that I understand why Chuck was trying to contact his dad at this point because the wedding is a few weeks away. But he's bringing his dad home, like, a few weeks before the wedding. Is is he supposed to stay there the whole time? Like, that doesn't seem... He doesn't, he doesn't know if his dad has a job. He doesn't know, like, anything. And that's kind of, like, a lot to impose upon this family that, like, they have to host this man for several weeks.
0: Yeah, they don't really share with the viewer what exactly uh, yeah. Stephen's accommodations are going to be. If he's yeah. just hanging out for the weekend, if he's going to... He's staying there until until the wedding, where he's yep. staying in the apartment. Not really sure.
1: Steven leaves a printout about something called Rios on the table, and Chuck picks it up. It might also be R-I-O-S. That'll, well, it's, but it spells Rios. I don't know. It's it looks I think like it was Rios. Rios that they pronounce it. Okay. On the table, um, and Chuck picks it up and flashes on it, discovering that work is associated with fulcrum in some way. This event, fulcrum has a hand in it somehow, so... Worlds are colliding, and Chuck is really surprised because he's dealing with his, like, small family drama, and it expands into his spy world drama, like Mm -hmm. all the best episodes of Chuck. In Castle, Beckman briefs the team about Chuck's Flash. Apparently there's been some chatter about the release of this Rios being corrupted and leading to the release of a virus that will destroy the internet or whatever. They can't warn Burke because they don't know who's involved or how deep this thing goes. Instead... Chuck has an interview in one hour at Rourke Instruments. God, that would, be, that would be so stressful. Like, how would he even get there in one hour, let alone be prepared?
0: That's a good point. That, is, uh, that doesn't really account for much travel time.
1: Nope. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to get to an interview, like, at least 15 minutes early. So, like, I don't know. He's got to rush. Yeah. So once Beckman signs off, Chuck expresses that working at RI has always been his dream. He and Sarah are a little worried about working with someone Chuck's dad has bad blood with, but Casey rather flippantly dismisses this. I also think Beckman should have known and or anticipated this being an issue. Like, Chuck's like, I don't know, maybe this guy wouldn't hire Chuck because his dad was his roommate and went crazy on him. Like, I feel like the government could have known some of this. But whatever, uh, Sarah tells Chuck that he's interviewing with his own name, his own degree, and his own credentials, which is nice. She says he's totally qualified for the job.
0: Oh, that was a nice touch.
1: Yeah. Chuck arrives at RI, which is this huge, beautiful office building, and an extremely young, tech-looking guy in a scarf welcomes him to his interview. This guy's name is Drew, if that ever becomes important. Sure. Um, he invites Chuck to sit down on an exercise ball. At this point, I'll note that I forgot what those were called, and I had to Google sitting ball to remind myself (laughs) exercise balls. Uh, We find out that Sarah and Casey are listening in via a bug, which is my absolute nightmare in any interview situation. Drew asks Chuck what he's been up to since graduating Stanford. Chuck hesitates at first, but Sarah tells him to just be honest. Chuck tells Drew that he's been working for the Nerd Herd, which has given him experience with a lot of different systems and a lot of different personalities. Sorry and Casey look at each other like this is an impressive spin on his answer, which I guess it's fine. And then we cut to Jeff and Lester creeping after Big Mike in the bymore like a couple of really not stealthy lions. Apparently, R.I.'s Big Tech Expo, where they're releasing Rios, which is a new operating system, is the next day. Jeff and Lester appeal to Big Mike to let them go. He agrees and tells them to have fun at the Wiiro Convention, which like I guess it's kind of, like, nerdy to go to the release of a new operating system, but also, like, technology is really important, and, like, <laughs> I don't think that weird, it's not like Comic-Con, it's not like weird, like, I don't know, it's a little uh, nerdy you to, hear go, to hear,
0: You heard it here first, everyone, Aaron thinks people who go to Comic-Con are weirdos.
1: <laughs> I count myself among them, though. Back in his interview, Chuck finishes by saying his greatest weakness is how little he's pushed himself since college. I think that was a pretty good answer, actually. Drew offers him the job on the spot, which is like so nice. Jesus.
0: Might be the most uh, fictitious part of Chuck. Yes. Because no, uh, there are several rounds of hiring for any job, it seems, these days. I yep. wish I encountered a job that was like, hey, yeah, you know what? This interview went really well. You're hired. I'm like, oh, yeah. great. Thanks. Here's your orientation packet. Oh, perfect. Yep. Awesome. No, instead it would no, be I'll like, I'll
1: take you on a tour right away.
0: Yeah. Like, okay, well, this. This was just the first round of interviews. Actually, we're going to have you meet with uh, another manager. And then after that, if that goes well, we'll have you meet with uh, three cross-functional partners and video call for four hours. Also, like, you were getting the
1: first round interview. Yeah. Like, that takes forever. Like, how did the government secure that? I don't know. If they do it for me? Please. <laughs> Drew takes Chuck on a tour of the RI facility, and Chuck has absolutely no chill even less so when they round a corner and there's Ted Rourke. So that's that's who Chevy Chase is. I was a little bit confused. Chevy Chase is Ted Rourke. We established that, but that's that's who he is. Um, I knew he was around here somewhere.
0: <laughs> there he Rourke is. Rourke
1: wears a Hawaiian shirt and makes a bunch of really bad jokes that everyone is obligated to laugh at. I'm not sure what job Chuck interviewed for or got, because we that's never explained. And I'm also not sure what job Drew has, but Drew knows Rourke personally and introduces him to Chuck I guess I can believe that like work is just walking around and would be like amenable to like, oh, here's a new employee and like greeting him. But mm-hmm. like, I assume you don't like meet the heads of companies, like especially like big software companies like this. Like you probably don't meet like, well, you're not meeting Steve Jobs ever, but like you're probably not going to meet the head of a company or like even if you see them in the hallway, they probably don't care that like lower level employees are passing them. <laughs> but like good on R. I. for having these really personal relationships among their employees
0: yeah they call that a what do they call that a uh it's a not a flat workplace but it's uh it's a flat hierarchy
1: okay yes kind of yep okay outside jeff and lester have left work and they're waiting outside r.a. a day early they already told Big Mike that Chuck wasn't at work, so I don't know how the store is like running with s- so short a staff. Jeff and Lester see Chuck in the RI doorway being handed an ID on a lanyard by Drew, who says, Welcome to the team. That was weird to do that right in the doorway.
0: Very strange. Like, hey, strange. here's here's your orientation binder. I just wanted to give this to you. Like, well, Hold on, actually, let's step outside real quick <laughs> and just, uh, all right, this looks good. Here's your binder. Now everyone knows you work here. Oh, well, thanks, Drew.
1: Lester immediately calls Morgan and tells him that he and Chuck are over because Chuck is cheating on the Bymore. Morgan pretends to know all about this, but when he hangs up, he's like, oh, my God. That night, Chuck and Sarah arrive back at the Bartowskis. While outside, Chuck tells Sarah he's really excited for his new job, and she reminds him that it's just an assignment. He says he knows, but if he had gotten this job right out of college, maybe he would have never become the Intersect. I don't really think that's true, because, like, Bryce might have still emailed Chuck the files. Chuck had no control over that. And also, Bryce got Chuck kicked out without a degree, so Chuck couldn't have gotten this job. Like, the line of thinking doesn't really make sense, but the point is that... He doesn't want people, and especially his dad, to think he's just another loser working at a buy more. Sarah so tells Chuck he isn't a loser.
0: I uh, am consistently impressed with how uh, oblivious Chuck is when talking about how miserably he is, like about being the intersect to Sarah. Because yeah. I always feel like there's like this degree of like, I'm so miserable. It's sad, and I'm so I'm so unhappy that like the my life unraveled in a way that brought us together and introduced me to you. And I'm so upset that we get to work together all the time, and I can be secretly in love with you. It's like, well, it's dude. also
1: like, Sarah, like, I mean, sh- this has to be her assignment, and it's definitely not a normal assignment. And before this, she was, like, working with Matt Bomber and, like, jet-setting all over the place. Like, she's probably, it's not a picnic for her either.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So they go inside, and Ellie, Devin, and Steven are waiting around a dinner table with Morgan for some reason. It's not really, I don't know if there's a deleted scene establishing why he's there, but he, he's just there. He doesn't, he also, like, he would presumably know who Steven is, and he doesn't really acknowledge it at all, like that, but like, oh, my my friend's dad is back.
0: <laughs> well, I feel like that checks out. Like, I feel like if you got a call being like, hey, my long-lost dad is back in town. Do you want to come have dinner? You'd be like, oh, shit, yeah, I guess I should come do that. But then when you're actually there, you wouldn't want to talk to him at all. You'd be like, oh, hi, good to see you. Hi, nice. And then you just would not talk to him at all yeah, for the rest fair. of the night.
1: All right, so uh, if my long-lost dad is ever back in town, I will. Uh, let, I will invite you and know that you'll handle it okay
0: debatable because i will talk to your dad if i see him
1: (laughs) steven asks chuck where he's been and chuck says at the bymore morgan frowns at this and i got really stressed out here because i'm like what is chuck gonna do with his actual job is he off has he called out sick is he just like going is he working like night shifts after he works at ri like i don't know what's going on but it made me stressed out
0: ellie gives a toast to steven uh And Steven gives Ellie and Devin a toast for their engagement and their upcoming wedding. Steven asks about the bachelor party and Devin says that he already had it and he doesn't want to talk about it. But then, honest to God, I don't know if this was just on the DVD version or what, but Devin says, and you can hear him say it. (laughs) If you want to hear more about my bachelor party, you should listen to season two, episode 18 of the podcast. Go Chuck yourself where Aaron and Chris discuss Chris uh, Chuck versus the broken heart.
1: Okay, I thought that that was I thought it was hallucinating, but you, you heard it, it too.
0: You thought it was just like an Amazon exclusive thing.
1: Yeah, I thought it was just like a weird glitch, but that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was a
0: cool Easter egg for everyone yeah. out there. To, I don't know
1: how they like inserted that in 2009. Like how they knew, but like they, I guess they did.
0: When you know, you know. Yep. Uh, back to reality, and by reality, I mean the plot of the show. Morgan proposes a toast to Chuck and his new job at Rourke Instruments. Chuck gives Morgan a death glare. Steven's upset that Chuck is going to be working for Rourke as he describes him, quote, the man who stole everything from me. The next day, Chuck reports for his first day at RI, and it happens to be the same day as the big Next Expo 2009, where they will be unveiling Rios, the uh, Rourke Instruments operating system that will have the software update that likely contains a fulcrum virus. As Chuck enters the uh, the campus, he passes the line of tech enthusiasts waiting to get into the auditorium. When he sees Sarah and Casey undercover as, I guess, people wearing glasses, Uh, Chuck says, quote, either this is a mission or you are both very good at hiding your hobbies.
1: I think, like, it's obviously a mission. They look good.
0: Sarah tells Chuck that she and Casey are there to steal the source code for the virus and keep an eye on Rourke. Inside the auditorium, Rourke gets ready to take the stage, wearing his best Hawaiian shirt. Chuck enters into the crowd, when Jeff and Lester spot him, they call out to him, but he doesn't hear him because he's busy flashing on one of Rourke's handlers who happens to be a fulcrum computer espionage specialist. Chuck calls Sarah and Casey to let him know that there is a fulcrum agent in the house. Ayo, fulcrum agent in the house!
1: Yeah! And it's
0: It's like Sarah says that this makes it even more vital that they stop the virus right now. As she says this, she types into a security keypad, which ultimately rejects her attempt to hack into it. That Did you can,
1: like like how how it rejected attempts With, it was just like Chevy Chase's voice.
0: You've got, and he was, I he was can't like, do this it. This has
1: been rejected. Have a nice day. And then the second one, he was like, Mmm, the second time.
0: Back at the apartment, Stephen is hanging out in the living room, getting ready to watch the live stream of Next Expo 2009. Ellie asks why he's doing that if he hates Rourke. But Steven says that he's got to watch Chuck's first day, even if he despises Rourke.
1: That was nice support.
0: I guess so, but Chuck's not going to be doing anything.
1: I don't... Well, we don't know what Chuck's job is.
0: At the expo, after making references to his own wealth, Ted Rourke announces the new uh, Rios operating system, which will be instantly available for free around the world as soon as he clicks a button. Sarah and Casey continue to struggle to hack into the security panel in the back office. Uh, Like Aaron said, after two failed attempts at logging in, the uh, recorded message of Chevy Chase says that uh, he's going to call security. So there's an alarm that starts to flash. And Sarah goes to tell Chuck, who's hiding backstage at the expo, that they won't be able to reach the source code in time. She tells Chuck that he needs to find some other way to stop the release of the program. Chuck says, but I'll get fired. And Casey says, it's not a real job. Rourke leads a countdown from 10 unless he, until he releases Rios. And as he reaches 2, Chuck, uh, not really having any ideas, dashes out onto the stage and stops the proceedings. All the fans in the audience are upset about the delay and, you know, don't know what's going on. Rourke is confused as to what Chuck is doing. Chuck decides to go the, uh, the earnest route for this one and just straight up tells Rourke that the CIA suspects that a dangerous virus has been uploaded to Rios. And if up- released, it will cause worldwide computer outages. Rourke seems to listen to Chuck, but then says, quote, do you realize how crazy you sound? Chuck acknowledges that he sounds crazy, but Rourke has already shrugged him off. Rourke apologizes to the crowd for the interruption and calls security on Chuck. As security makes a flank Chuck, Chuck grabs the Rios release trigger from Rourke's hand and dashes into the audience.
1: So is that button, like, the only way they can release this system? Like, you can't just do it via a computer? (laughs) I guess so. Cool. Did you you notice uh, Ellie... And her, Ellie and Stephen watching the live stream and what Ellie says when she sees Chuck on stage.
0: Uh, let's see. Watching from the apartment, Ellie cries, what are you doing, Chuck? While Stephen cheers on his son saying, that's my
1: boy. No. So before that, she sees him on stage and she says, he must have gotten promoted, which is I just highlighted because that's st- stupid.
0: I I did catch that and I was going to highlight because I was like, is that really dumb or am I just being mean right now <laughs> for being like,
1: well, uh, if, if you are, then we are being mean together.
0: <laughs> he must have been promoted. Yeah. On his first day, they're like, hey, you really got some uh, chops. Why don't you come onto the stage with us? Yep. Sorry. She believes in her brother, I guess. <laughs> you meanie. Oh,
1: uh, that's me.
0: At this point, Jeff and Lester decide to leap into action to help Chuck. So they start blocking the bodyguards that are chasing him down the aisles of the audience. When Chuck is about to exit the auditorium, he gets clotheslined by uh, a mysterious man in a cardigan. Turns out it's Drew, the same guy who hired Chuck in the first place. Drew expresses his uh, vast disappointment in Chuck as a fellow alumni of Stanford and retrieves the Rios trigger and passes it off to Rourke. Much to the crowd's excitement, wasting a little time, Rourke counts to three and then pushes the button. Later that day, as Devin is returning home from work, Ellie is freaking out and asks him if he heard from Chuck. Devin doesn't know what happened at the expo because uh, he's been in surgery all day, probably. But Ellie insists that Chuck must be in jail and says that she doesn't know how to contact people in jail. She explains to Devin what happened at the expo as Steven enters the room and goes directly for the freezer. So I'd like to introduce a new game. What's Stephen keeping in that freezer? <laughs> Aaron, what is Stephen? keeping in that freezer
1: okay so in the previous episode Devin says why would he eat a hamburger when he has steak at home so maybe there's steak in the freezer and steven just wants to uh check that it's still there because he has lived in a trailer that doesn't have an adequate oven to cook steak so he's really looking forward to some steak
0: uh let me check the answer card and that is correct yeah I win Steven's keeping uh you keep a month's worth of uh you win a month's worth of Omaha steaks
1: oh great I don't need steak though
0: oh well I'll Find it. who does it. I will mail it to your house enjoy um since there's still a lot of strife and discord in the Bartowski family Ellie blames Stephen for Chuck's behavior she believes that Stephen told Chuck to hijack the Expo and uh, jeopardize his new job so he could make good on his his hatred of of Rourke Steven insists that the job working for Rourke was a bad job, anyways. And Ellie reminds him that Chuck currently works at a Bymore. Shots fired. Steven and Devin try to defend Chuck, but Ellie is not having it. She says that Steven's vendetta against Rourke is made up and unnecessary, and she calls Devin out on forgetting what happened at his bachelor party because she did not forget about that or let that go. Um, and then this is, I think this is the craziest part. Out of nowhere, I don't know if you caught this, but Steven says. Quote, well, I hear if you want to hear about Devin's bachelor party, there's this really great podcast out there that's not affiliated with Rourke Instruments at all called Go Chuck Yourself, and they just covered it on a recent episode.
1: Okay, again, yes, I heard that, and I was like, I thought." I really thought it was just like Amazon exclusive. I thought it was like a deleted scene that I was seeing for some reason. But yeah, okay. I'm really it's really nice that they promoted us like this before we even existed.
0: It's just so it's so impressive that it's so detailed and just so like thorough with how they they place our, you know, we're like up there with, you know, like Call of Duty and Madden and Fable 2 for products that are being featured in Chuck regularly. Yeah,
1: it's really, really cool. And like it just kind of honestly, it makes me like Chuck more.
0: Ellie acknowledges that although Go Check Yourself sounds like an interesting podcast, she's getting worked up about this whole situation, so she decides to remove herself. Devin calls after her, but Steven tells him to give her her space. Devin and Steven, now finally alone, are able to share a father-son-in-law moment where Devin asks Steven for advice about Ellie. Since men can't talk about their feelings without the presence of alcohol, Steven (laughs) pours a glass of whiskey and offers one to Devin, but Devin declines. Steven says that he can't really offer any advice besides, quote, don't walk out on your kids when you promise them pancakes for dinner. Steven then comments that Devin is a straight arrow, and Devin says that he used to be before this whole bachelor party thing, which now again is now available on Go Check Yourself. But Steven says that Devin will be okay. Ellie is probably just nervous that Devin is going to turn into someone like Steven and walk out on her, but Steven says that that will probably never happen based off Devin's behavior, and Devin agrees to drink with Steven. And the two say, give a toast to straight arrows. Back at the Bymore, Chuck nervously looks around waiting for the fallout from Rios, but there doesn't really appear to be any. He tries to find Morgan, but Morgan's nowhere to be found either. After this, Chuck completes the remaining seven hours and 55 minutes of his shift. Just kidding. He goes back to his apartment. (laughs) Chuck decides that he wants to work on studying Orion's intersect schematics, even if he doesn't know exactly what Orion wants him to do. Chuck has to hide his Orion comic book when Stephen knocks on the door and enters and asks Chuck if Chuck acted out at the expo on his behalf. Chuck doesn't really know what to say. So Stephen continues saying that he made a lot of mistakes in his life, which caused him to lose everything. And he just hopes that Chuck doesn't make those same mistakes. Steven says that if Chuck is passionate about working for R.I., then Chuck should try to keep his job despite his father's history with Rourke. Chuck says that he missed receiving advice from his dad and Steven sees himself out. And allows Chuck to return to doing whatever he was doing. After Steven leaves, Chuck notices a similarity between one of Orion's schematics and the map of uh the RI campus that's printed on the back of Chuck's new employee orientation binder. Chuck realizes that Ted Rourke has an intersect of his own.
1: Because
0: <gasps> the he puts he puts the map on the on the uh no, he puts because he puts the the schematic on top of the map and they line yeah. up. And it's yeah, I
1: guess it does. I wasn't really sure if it did or not, but it does. It does.
0: It does. Mark my words. Damn it. Chuck tells Sarah and Casey his revelation, but he's kind of in a tough spot because Casey asked Chuck what exactly he flashed on to reach this conclusion. But since Chuck didn't flash on anything, was simply using his uh, his logic and the Orion schematics he was never supposed to have. Chuck can't say anything. Chuck theorizes that Rios, rather than corrupting other computers, could really be working as a Trojan horse to try to steal secrets from the government servers about the Intersect that will eventually be used in Rourke's uh, counterfeit Intersect. Casey and Sarah ask him again why he thinks Rourke is hiding an Intersect, but Chuck can't say. Casey brushes Chuck off by saying that Beckman will never support a mission without concrete evidence, and then concludes with, quote, I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the crazy tree.
1: Casey, being not supportive again this episode. <laughs>
0: Chuck makes an individual plea to Sarah that this could be his chance to remove the intersect from his head. But Sarah says that she cannot disobey Beckman's orders because that historically has not gone really well for Sarah. No. Chuck, Chuck then decides interesting move on Chuck's part. He decides to head to Castle and prepares to go on a solo mission to the Roark campus. He puts on a bunch of gear and a, a vest and takes out two handguns. Casey stops Chuck dead in his tracks and rips a piece of paper from Chuck's hand. This is, of course, one of Orion's schematics. Casey asks what it is, and Chuck tells him honestly that there are plans for the Intersect that Orion sent him before he died. Casey asks Chuck if this means that Chuck was communicating with Orion without telling him and Sarah. Chuck says that he thinks Orion wanted Chuck to break into Rourke instruments this whole time, and Casey says that he wants Chuck to take off the gear before he breaks his neck. And then Chuck responds by grabbing the paperback and then holding Casey at gunpoint. Yeah. Chuck, what are you doing, man? He's going crazy. He's he's, He's going off the edge. He's going off
1: the edge, baby.
0: He's going off the deep end. Casey and Chuck have a standoff, and Casey tells Chuck that he's entering a world of pain, which seems like a fair assessment. Casey also realizes that Chuck is using a tranquilizer gun and is offended that Chuck doesn't have the courtesy to threaten Casey with a real gun. Casey makes to steal Chuck's tranquilizer gun when Chuck shoots him in the chest with one of the tranquilizers. Casey's taking it back, but he's still okay. So Chuck shoots him again with another tranquilizer. Casey... Now inebriated with some of the tranquilizer juice, stumbles forward and onto Chuck, trying to stop him, but Chuck reaches into his uh, his little spy vest that he just put on and pulls out an individual tranquilizer and stabs it into Casey's neck, sending Casey right to nighty night Casey he's, pro-
1: he's really good at passing out
0: he is Casey promises, It was amazing. Casey promises to kill Chuck when he wakes up and then he uh, very dramatically passes out on the floor at the foot yeah, of the it was, stairs.
1: It was really impressive.
0: And Chuck runs out of castle.
1: So as Chuck is attempting to break into the intersect wing at R.I., he hears a commotion and hides in uh, an unlocked room. Moments later, his dad comes around the corner being hassled by several guards, including the the guy that Chuck flashed on as Fulcrum before. And shouting that Rourke may have ruined his life, but he's not leaving until they give Chuck his job back. The fulcrum guard guy radios out to ask Rourke what to do, and Rourke says to bring Stephen in, and they'll settle things in private. The guard punches Stephen in the stomach, so Chuck rushes out, Trank guns blazing. No one really reacts to the fact that a man is pointing two very real-looking guns at them, but then they all fall in a heap, so I guess that was why. Everyone except Stephen, that is. Chuck tells his dad, I'm not who you think I am. Just then, Vincent... The guy what? from a couple episodes ago, he's back, he comes around the corner and he says, good to see both of you again. What? Steven says, I'm not who you think I am either. Vincent points a gun at them and says, hands up, and they comply. Steven whips out some kind of wisdom computer, which we might recognize as the same thing that Orion had. What?
0: Oh, 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 Orion. oh,
1: Orion. Oh, oh, he uses it to uh, shut the doors on Vincent, which distracts him long enough for Stephen to punch him and knock him out. Stephen tells Chuck to come with him. Chuck says, oh my god, you're Orion, which is like, like, we know that because we saw like the wrist computer and stuff. But I don't know what evidence Chuck has exactly.
0: Maybe is it just the fact that Vincent was hunting Orion and Vincent seems to know who his dad is? and is I guess. His dad?
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But, uh... Back at Castle, Sarah wakes up Casey and asks where Chuck is. Casey replies, in a world of pain.
0: Yep, it's true.
1: Meanwhile, Chuck can't believe his father invented the intersect. Steven says he only invented the really cool parts. He goes on to explain that Chuck saw him fake his own death when the helicopter explosion and that Orion has had to die quite a few times. He adds that he went on the run when he found out what the government was going to use the intersect technology for. And he did this to keep Chuck and Ellie safe. He just never thought the Intersect would find its way back to Chuck. He says he engineered this whole situation, allowing Chuck and Sarah to find him so he could lead Chuck to Rourke's Intersect and get the Intersect out of Chuck. He helps Chuck to flash on Rourke's keypad to get the code to let them in. And I I just want to say here that, like, Scott Bakula is a pretty good actor. Like, I mean, he's, he's definitely, like, a good actor. Like, he... He did like the kind of like shifty, crazy, nervous energy really, really well. But Mm -hmm. I completely like he shifts to like kind of cool, professional spy who knows what he's doing right here. And it was really cool.
0: Yeah, he um, he definitely handles both of them well. It was interesting because he uh, you realize that the whole the whole shifty, nervous guy kind of thing was his way of kind of blending uh, fact with fiction in a way that he could still do it in front of Ellie and Chuck. You'd yeah. be like, they're coming after me, or like, oh, I hate Rourke because he stole all the stuff. Like, Yeah, they might be somewhat factually accurate, but you would never know that because he pr- comes across as a crazy person. It's very very yeah, clever, so, very smart writing.
1: Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, he, He's, uh, one might say, a master shapeshifter, much like someone who could turn from a human to a bat. Well,
0: I, I see where you're going with this, and I do not like it.
1: Sweating backwards, uh, they get into Rook's office and find the Intersect 2.0, which is basically just like the Tesseract. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a blue cube.
0: Hey, this came out before the Avengers, so That's that means. That's true, so maybe Joss
1: Whedon stole this. I bet he did. Steven says he needs to make some minor modifications and begins typing on a transparent computer screen. No one seems to remember that the bad Fulcrum guy alerted Rook that Steven was there. No one really feels like they're in danger. They don't even lock the door or anything. Steven explains that he's going to upload a bunch of images to cancel out or overwrite those in Chuck's brain, thereby removing the Intersect. The anti-anti-Intersect begins to run, but it suddenly stops. Steven is upset it isn't working, which is exactly when Rourke enters to say, no, it doesn't work, but I'm sure you'll have it up and running in no time. He says he's been looking for Orion for a long time to fix his broken Intersect, and his guards, who all have real guns, surround Chuck and Steven. Rourke tells them to take Steven to the helicopter and kill Chuck. Steven pleads for Chuck's life, explaining that Chuck is his son, and Rourke agrees to let Chuck go free for some reason. Like, I don't know. I feel like he shouldn't have wanted, like, he shouldn't have been planning to kill Chuck from the beginning and then, like, been talked out of it. Like, that doesn't really make sense. I feel like it makes more sense for him to, from the get-go, be like, I'll only not kill your son if you come with me. But, you know, Whatever. Stephen tells Chuck to take care of Ellie and pushes Chuck out of a door. Sarah and Casey are there, guns drawn, and Stephen adds that he was wrong when he told Chuck not to trust his handlers. The guards all pile around Stephen and pull him away, and Chuck screams no, but he's held back from helping by Sarah and Casey as the door is shut. And I was, like, pretty struck by the emotion of this scene. It was Mm -hmm. pretty heavy. It was. Later, Beckman debriefs the team again. She says she's putting her best teams on finding Chuck's dad. And Chuck replies, we are your best team. Which, like, I don't think that's true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Chuck, Sarah and Casey are the best team. You're not necessarily a part of the best team.
1: I don't even know if they're the best team. Like, I presume there are teams who don't, like, mess up as much as this team.
0: They don't mess up all the time.
1: (laughs) Uh, Casey and Beckman agree to let Chuck help find his dad if his emotional entanglements don't get in the way. Sarah is not super enthused about this because she thinks it will be too dangerous for Chuck. Back at the Bartowskis, Ellie comes home to find pancakes on the table. Unfortunately, it's Devin who's made them and not her dad. He tells her he thinks Steven may have left and she starts crying. Devin then tells her that he is not going anywhere no matter how hard things get, and they share a moment together. Which, she's obviously still mad about the bachelor party, but it seems like they're gonna be okay.
0: Devin says, quote, in 50 years, we'll look back at my bachelor party and laugh at it. But then Ellie says, actually, we don't have to wait 50 years. We can laugh at your bachelor party now if we go to our favorite podcast site and download Go Chuck Yourself's episode of Chuck season two, episode 18, Chuck versus the broken heart. And Devin says, that's a great idea. And then they go off and do that. And that's how the episode ends.
1: But uh, just as a little bonus scene at the end, there's a a little tiny bonus scene where Chuck returns home and Ellie asks if he's okay. which has she not seen him since the thing where he ran on stage? Like, have they not crossed paths since then? Does she still think he was in jail?
0: I guess so, potentially.
1: Why isn't he in jail? Also, he should definitely be in jail for doing that.
0: Maybe Sarah and Casey talked to someone.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. She tells him their dad is gone and apologizes for asking Chuck to even find him in the first place. Chuck says not to count their dad out yet. We get a brief shot of Stephen working on the Tesseract, I mean Intersect, and then the episode ends. Or this, this, you know, uh little scene. This, this little bonus scene ends.
0: Yes, it fades to black uh, with the Intersect Two Point being shining in the darkness. Yeah, and you
1: can actually, if you listen really carefully, like you. Okay, so you can see he's like working on the Intersect, and he has like a pair of headphones in and if you listen really carefully you can hear Aaron and Chris introducing episode 18 of go Chuck yourself Chuck versus the broken heart
0: oh so he does actually get to that's nice with the resolution that we know that he's finding out about the bachelor party after the fact because of the podcast and you can see
1: he has like a little frown because he's like a little upset about like you know all of the all of the problems and all of the Proud of that episode. But
0: then it's actually, it's kind of magical because you watch, you get to see over the course of the episode, his frown, if you will, turn upside down.
1: Oh yeah, he's got like a little tiny hint of a smile at the end and he's like, you know, I think things are going to be okay.
0: And that is season two, episode 19, Chuck versus the dream job. Wow. What a, uh, what a remarkable episode. What a dream. Um... One of the segments that we do here is the uh, home theater room where we take a journey into Bymore's home theater room to play videos from our own life. And uh, this week we thought it would be apropos to do something about uh, the first days on the job.
1: Sounds good. Let's pop it in the VCR and press play.
0: Okay. Click. There it is. It's in the the thing. And now I got to change the input uh, to input, uh, input auxiliary three. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to hit play and we are good.
1: All right. What are we watching, Chris?
0: Well, from my personal uh, experience, I was thinking about uh, some some first days that I've had and Mm -hmm. I feel like they kind of vary all over the place. Sometimes they leave you feeling good and happy. Sometimes you feel a little bit nervous or Mm -hmm. you're a little bit anxious about what's to come. I think my least favorite first day on a job and my least favorite job in general was working the summer that I worked at the uh, country club which was a disaster from start to end and this yes. was this is the disaster at the beginning which really should have indicated to me how the rest of my summer was going to go at this country club but i was under the impression that for my first day they kept referring to it as like you're going to be you know this is the day you're going to have your orientation or this is the day that you're going to be shadowing or you're going to do whatever they did not tell me that that like because in my mind I was like okay orientation like I'll probably be there for a couple of hours or just whatever and then I'll leave what they did not mention was that I was going to be doing my orientation and by that they meant that I was literally just going to be working basically like a nine-hour shift that in an event because it was the country club's like banquet hall catering team whatever So I go from thinking that I'm working two hours to end up working 10 hours. And before this, I told like my mom and everything like, oh, I'm just going to be gone for a few hours. I'm just doing the orientation and I'll be back. Mm -hmm. And then when I wasn't back, I also was not allowed to use my cell phone on the banquet floor. So at no point did I think like to go to the bathroom or anything. And so like my phone and I'm stressed out learning how to do this new job my phone is just racking up calls and missed calls and voicemails from my mom who then decides it's a good idea to get my friends involved to see if they've heard me. Like we, we escalated to that threat level. So then my friends are calling me. My friends are texting me like, Hey, where are you? Are you okay? So then I got to like, as I'm already stressed out about this horrible job, I then go and check my phone and see basically like what it would look like if I disappeared and vanished and what the response would look like. And I was like, (laughs) This really is, uh, this kind of stresses me out a little bit. This is upsetting. So, uh, that basically just laid the foundation for me to be constantly anxious while I was, uh, at that job.
1: Great. Well, uh, that sounds like, uh, it sounds about in line with, uh, my knowledge of your experience at that job. So.
0: Yes. And mercifully two months later I was fired and it was, (laughs) mercifully, mercifully, I was not good at that job and I hated it and, so eventually they just let me go and i was like you know what this sucks but i'm still in college so let's uh let's kill the month of august just hanging out and binge watching all breaking bad and then i'm gonna go back to school and that's that so yep not a fan of country clubs
1: um i would say for me um, if we could just uh switch over to the other side of the tape i would love to switch switch button yep yep thank you um I, this, this story is going to start um, a little bit before my first day, but uh, the first, uh, one of the internships I had while in college, um, it was my first physical, I had a virtual internship if you will, but this was my first physical internship, it was over the summer before our senior year, and I was supposed to start in the beginning of June. And the day before I started, I had won tickets from a radio contest to an Ingrid Michaelson concert. So I went to the Ingrid Michaelson concert. Um, We won a special, like, uh, like a a more intimate setting in the House of Blues. We um, like a lounge performance. What?
0: Like a lounge performance? Yeah. Okay.
1: So we won like a lounge performance, Um, and she performed. I actually ran into her in the bathroom. Literally, we collided. So I got to see her and then we, um, had tickets for the show afterwards. But as it turned out, I was starting a new internship the next day. So we didn't even stay. We, we walked in with our free tickets and then it was around like 9 p.m. and no one had come on stage yet. So we were like, okay, um, we have to go back home from Boston. So we, my mom and I, who was my guest, um, took the train back to our home and I went to bed. Um, we got home maybe around 1am, like it was pretty late Mm. and I went to bed and then because I had so little sleep because I had to commute into Boston the next morning and get up at 6am to get the train, I got sick. So the next day was my first day. I caught a little bit of a cold and I was actually, one of my ears wasn't working because it was full of fluid. So as I was being trained on my work at this internship, um, I had to keep, subtly redirecting myself to where the person training me was sitting on the side of uh which I could hear from and not the other side in which I would have completely not heard anything um this I don't know if this story is an indicator, but that was actually uh, a really good job that I really enjoyed very much
0: oh oh that's good
1: yeah so um that would that would be that would be my first day I also started my um Previous job, before the job I have now, I received the call that I was hired on April Fool's Day, and my first day of work was 420, so it was, you know, pretty fun. I recall that. Yes. So now we're going to step back out of the home theater room, let uh, Anna and Morgan take their hangout. They've been banging on the windows. They really want to get in here. I don't know what they want (laughs) to do.
0: (laughs) Just kidding. We know exactly what they want to (laughs) do. Um
1: they're gonna listen to uh Go Chuck Yourself season two, episode eighteen.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're like, We got it the new episode just came out, we gotta listen to it. We gotta listen to it in full surround sound.
1: And they're gonna make love while they listen.
0: Wow. Well, I think it's it's kind of a given, I think, that people are making love while listening to this. Oh
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I like to think about the generation that will be born. Uh, they'll be known as the go check yourself generation. Oh, yeah, people yeah. that were conceived to
1: mm-hmm.
0: go check yourself. Um Moving on from that, Chuck Mary Kill is a segment that we do every week on the show. And that is something where we identify one part of this episode we want to marry and then one part of this episode that we want to kill. Um, I will start off. I will say that this week I would like to marry Devin. Oh, I think that he is an underrated character. Ellie. I know. I think he's an underrated character and I appreciated getting to see him actually have kind of like. In arc that was ex- extending from the previous episode
1: mm-hmm. into
0: this rather than him just kind of like existing in a vacuum where he doesn't mm-hmm. really know what's going on or yeah. is not super involved with Chuck and the gang.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but also I think that he, uh, I felt like the scenes between him and Ellie were pretty, pretty good this week. And I liked how he made her pancakes and, mm-hmm. um, and also just like, you know, if I have to marry a man, he's a doctor, he's very thoughtful and considerate. He seems very, outgoing and, and fun yep. so i think i would you know like i said if i had to marry a man i think i'd be in a good situation
1: so for me i think that i'm going to be uh stealing your mary from last week um i don't know if we have to enter into a polyamorous situation or if you'll just like provide that to me but i thought that uh last week you married chuck's bravery uh-huh. um i i don't know if i'll phrase it exactly as chuck's bravery but i thought like chuck really stood up in this episode he really like. He took action and we haven't really seen, we've seen him behave bravely. We saw him do it last week. We've seen him like kind of like be forced into the role of the hero in his own like unique way. But this was the first time that he really like put on tactical gear and like took on the spy role in a like more traditional like Sarah and Casey type way. That's Mm -hmm. something that he's tended to shy away from. I mean, he did it in his own special way, which I also liked with the Trank guns instead of the real guns and everything. But um, it was it was very, very brave of him to um, go against orders and like break into Castle and take all this gear and like actually fight Casey It was very like Neville Longbottom moment. Like he was like, Uh I'm standing up for my friends. But yeah, so um that would be that would be my Mary I also just really liked how the episode like the ending with like the doors closing and Sarah and Casey holding Chuck back and everything I thought that was really heart-wrenching and I thought it was really well done
0: mm-hmm. also kind of like a Neville Longbottom moment because you meet his parents and you're like oh they're kind of crazy
1: <laughs> I, I mean <laughs> sad Sorry. I always, I
0: thought it was a crime that they did not include that scene. I thought that was like one of the best scenes in the book that they did not include in a Harry Potter movie. Was meeting Neville Longbottom. I agree. Parents. It was
1: like that's a heartbreaking scene. That and yeah. it's such good characterization of Neville. Instead, he just we just talk about how he's hot now. <sighs> uh, All right.
0: <laughs> um, for my kill this week, uh, nothing that major. After the uh, really <laughs> egregious bloodbath that was last week. Yep. Uh, I just kind of wish that we got to spend a little bit more time with things going right for Chuck at mm-hmm. Rourke instruments. Okay. Um, I think that it could have been, you know, I like, I, I like getting to see Chuck feel comfortable and get tempted to like things that are going well for him before mm. they fall apart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I feel like the Orion reveal kind of causes us to lose Chuck's interest in Rourke industries or instruments. Sorry. Yeah, Um, but I I think that I like how the show engages with real life themes. And I enjoy the fact that Chuck was exploring and dealing with his feelings of inadequacy for working in retail after going to Stanford and getting kicked out of Stanford Mm -hmm. and that the kind of joy that he had working for a cutting edge tech company, I felt like I wanted to see him enjoy that a little bit more or Mm -hmm. kind of feel more hesitant to lose that. But Obviously, like the stakes involved are, you know, he finds Orion, who also happens to be his dad, like two birds with one stone. It's a big deal for him. And his dad also knows how to get the intersect out of his head. So Mm -hmm. I understand him getting distracted and also work instruments, apparently some kind of cover up sham corporation for Fulcrum or is Mm -hmm. in at least in cahoots with with Fulcrum. So I get it. But that was just my thought.
1: I. um. I don't know if this exactly counts as a kill, but I was very confused about the timeline of this episode. I think mm-hmm. there were some scenes that were particularly confusing, like the scene that I believe you mentioned, where Chuck returns briefly to the Bymore and like kind of looks around sadly, <laughs> like "Oh, this is my life now," and then leaves. I wasn't sure if that was happening. Like it seemed that it was happening like at the more at the end of a day, as opposed to the beginning of a day, and it was just confu- I was confused about when this was happening, why he didn't stay for the whole time, if he didn't stay for the whole time, why he even bothered going there at all. Um and there was there were just a few things, like with Ellie seeming like she hadn't seen Chuck at all since she watched him on the live stream, even though this was presumably like a day later, or like at least much later in that day. I didn't really know, um I understood all of the events happening, but I didn't there wasn't a clear path of how much time had passed. And then that all just kind of plays into the fact that where was Steven staying? Is this episode spread over just like one day and he didn't even spend the night there? Or is this episode spread over several days and he'd been staying there? And there was just some confusion about the timeline that I would have liked to, um, I feel like, just some lines i mean maybe they could have cut one of the references to go check yourself like i really like the promotion but if they cut <laughs> one of those and like inserted right. some explanation i don't know
0: yeah because it gets you know it's flattering but after a while it's just kind of like it's a little heavy-handed yeah yeah so that's, uh, that would be my kill moving on to the scooter scale uh zero to five corn dogs. uh zero being low five being high Named after our beloved scooter from season one.
1: Rest in peace.
0: Um I I will come out and say that I will give this episode 4.5 corndogs. Oh. I really like this episode. Mm-hmm. I think they do a really good job of building Ellie and Chuck's relationship with Steven mm-hmm. in a meaningful and believable way over just, you know, 44 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think it's appropriately messy, which I think is a good thing. Like it's not mm-hmm. just like everything's great now that their dad's back. Like they still have a lot of resentment towards him and confusion and they're hurt. And uh-huh. he doesn't really know how to regain their trust and also doesn't want to get settled back down because he might have to run away again. So uh-huh. I felt like they really, and I feel like they could have a lesser show may not have been able to work with that as well. Like it could have uh-huh. felt rushed, but I didn't feel like it was rushed. I felt like it was all just really well paced. Uh-huh. Um, the stuff with Rourke instruments I think is fun. Uh, obviously the reveal of Orion is exciting. Emotions and stakes are are heightening as we approach the end of the season. I like how there's a lot of Chucks really getting personally involved in the spy missions that are happening. His worlds are are very much colliding, if not completely collided at this point. And he's coming more into his own and taking more risks. And I uh, I got to love not having anything that's egregiously bad happening <laughs> in the B plot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would I would say that if this episode had like a really interesting like action sequence, like a really cool fight scene. I would mm-hmm. give it five stars, but I think that I was five, missing uh,
1: excuse me. Five what?
0: So, uh, pardon me. Five corn dogs. Okay,
1: thank you, thank you. I was confused.
0: Um but yeah, I was just missing that action component this week.
1: I am going to uh completely agree with you. I think you said everything that I was thinking. Um I had wrote down to give it a 4.75. So okay. I'm a little higher than you, a little closer to five. Well,
0: you're in but, California, so you should um, be a little bit higher than me.
1: <laughs> Why do you keep making references to this? Just keeps making references to me being high on life. I established. I drink alcohol.
0: <laughs> she has one vice that's crippling her life, and that yes. is alcohol. There's no other vices in her life. Nope.
1: but uh, yes, I really, really liked the episode. I thought that we we had two guest stars, like two prominent mm. '80s actors, which was really cool. Um. I think that my only real issue with it was, as I mentioned, the timeline. And then I, I think we could have known what job Chuck had, like how important he was at the company, because if it's like if he was going to be like an intern or something, like, of course, sure, they aren't as strict about hiring him. But if he's like the VP of operations or whatever, like mm-hmm. that's a more impressive for Chuck and be like, I think we could have had an understanding of like. Maybe he could have been on stage. Maybe he wasn't supposed to even be in that room. Like, I didn't really know what his role was going to be. So, I agree with what you said earlier about how seeing him explore the work instruments world a little bit more would have probably added some character development and clarity. But, overall, I thought it was a really good episode. I really liked what Chuck's dad brought to the table, and... I liked how the buy More B plot was related to the A plot, and like didn't really take up that much time, but we still got to see our friends mm-hmm. or our our enemies as they are.
0: Yeah, they uh, yeah, because it kind of like you're like, oh, are Jeff and Lester going to be prominently featured in the Rourke instruments thing going on? Yeah. And, but they halfway through the episode, they basically are gone. So.
1: I'm going to pop in something that uh, is an extension on the scooter scale. It's not really related to my rating. But um, something I want to highlight is that, I don't know if you noticed this, Casey, when he's attending the Nexpo, he has a badge that reads David Coleman, Mm -hmm. which I tried very hard to see which badge Sarah had, but her name didn't seem to be visible. But David Coleman is the prop master on Chuck so yeah, uh, he inserted himself in a little bit
0: classic David Coleman that's a and classic also Coleman hijink
1: when Stephen um, sees Ellie for the first time he says oh boy which is a reference to his recurring line in quantum leap mm. he also says I want to suck your blood
0: I said at the beginning of the show (laughs) that this episode in this program is a Dracula free program.
1: Okay. No Draculas. Uh,
0: Do you know how many listeners that you just scared by doing that? There are people around the country, all making love who have to get up out of their beds (laughs) and turn off their stereos or their, their iPhones or their iPads or their computers or whatever, because you just did that there. Think of all the children who will not be born now because they were never conceived because they're, Parents were interrupted by the scary sound of a Dracula impersonator while they were making love.
1: If you have uh if if you were scared here or if you have any thoughts about Dracula or uh whether we should or should not be talking about him, especially in the month of October, please write in to go chuck yourself podcast at gmail.com or go chuck podcast on Twitter.
0: Or if you want, you can also write to uh <laughs> 9,200 North Maryland Avenue, Niles, Illinois, 60714. That is the address of the Ashton Drake Galleries. (laughs) That's the home of Coco. So either way, if you're afraid of Dracula, let's make sure, you know, make sure you let the Ashton Drake folks know that you will not be standing for any Dracula related action. That you are only here for Coco.
1: So now I just have to ask you the question that's on everyone's minds. And by everyone, I mean me, because no one else uh, knew that this was happening. But uh, how did you feel between standing and sitting this episode?
0: Uh, yes, I for the the past long, I don't know. I started standing towards the end of season one. Mm-hmm. And then I've just been standing ever since. So it's been a little while. I guess it's like 20, 20 or so episodes mm-hmm. that I've been standing. But uh, I was sitting down this episode and uh, it felt pretty good. I uh, I hope it didn't affect your your listening experience. I hope that my my rear being firmly planted on a, a seat cushion was not distracting. I hope it didn't make too much noise, but I do. Uh, I do have a a big butt. So
1: all right. Well, moving on from that. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, we we are excited to be moving into the final episodes of this season, but um, of course we're also excited to just have more Chuck to watch. It's it's almost over, right?
0: Yeah, we got um three more episodes.
1: Okay, so we're uh yep, but don't worry, still still season three, still still we still got more. We have we have more. We're not leaving you yet.
0: We have plenty of season two left, and we'll see you next week for that. My name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food. Is sexy.
1: My name is Erin Arada, letting you know that anything is possible.
0: We will see you next week. Have a lovely day. Yeah. Uh,
1: safe travels. Safe. Have fun making love.
0: Have fun if making that's love. What doing.
1: Know that's what for, you're doing. you know who.
0: Swear to God, Erin, I swear to God. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Special thanks to freemusicarchive.org and the artist Hadakoa for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. Make sure to email us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com and tweet at us at gochuckpodcast. Remember to like and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and write a review if that's something you need to do. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.